remember being embarrassed to talk with other people about Jesus Christ when I first became a believer. I was saved when I was 18 years old, and what I mean by that is I was 18 when I first believed that the Lord Jesus died for my sins and rose from the grave, and I prayed and asked him to forgive my sins and to be my Savior, and I was already on my way to Ohio State when that happened, and I had many of my unsaved friends that were already there or traveled with me there in my graduating class, and so those were a lot of the people that I spent my time with, but I found a good church down there, and I started to grow as the pastor started to teach uh, me one-on-one and help me in discipleship, and I knew that I needed to start trying to share the good news with people that didn't know Christ, because there were a lot of people around me that didn't. And so if you're in the habit of handing out gospel tracts, um, the, the small little handouts that we have at the front door, whether it's at somebody in the checkout line, or whether it's perhaps at a restaurant, or at a doctor's office, or whoever you happen to meet with that tells them the good news about Jesus and has information about how they can join us at the church, I thought that that's where I should start. That's what my pastor told me. He's like, you don't have to get up and hit a home run every time. You can start by simply handing it out. And so I decided I was going to do that. Well, I went out to a restaurant with two of my friends that I knew were not saved, and uh, I was a little, little embarrassed to leave the tract for the server. And so I had this idea. I was just going to wait a little bit longer at the table after we paid our bill, and they would get up, and they would leave, and then I'd set the track down. I'm like, okay, perfect. They won't even see me do it. So I didn't want them to think that I was some sort of weirdo. So they get up, and they walk out. It was a steak and shake, and so I got up, and, and I just put the track down really quick, and I walk out, and the server came right behind me and picked it up, and then the loudest voice possible without yelling, he says, sir, I already know this. He said, sir, I already know this, and he, and he waved the little thing. And I looked at him, and I looked at my friends, and they looked back at me, and they looked at the guy, and he walked over and gave it back to me, and we just all walked out, and we never said anything about it. <laughs> I know people that are as bold as lions for the Lord, and they are willing to talk about the Lord in just about any scenario, no matter who is around. But many of us, we, we find ourselves struggling with that. We're oftentimes worried about what will other people think, and is this a bad time, and I don't want to be rude, and we, we've heard things like uh, pleasant or polite conversation doesn't delve into the realms of politics or religion or, or whatnot. Um, perhaps we're worried about how it will ref- affect our relationship with the person, if they're a coworker. Or if there's somebody uh, that you know through school and you say, well, if I start bringing this up and it goes really bad, I'm going to have to see them. You know, maybe they, they're really bitter against God or maybe they don't believe in God or maybe they believe something else. And so people end up paralyzed by this worry about whether or not they can talk about the Lord. But we want to be bold and we know that it's a good thing to be bold and we need it, but we don't have it. But our passage tonight shows us where boldness comes from and how dependent upon the Lord we really are for it. And we have to keep going back again and again. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4 this evening and we, as we continue our study through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4, and we're going to be in verse number 23 to begin with tonight. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 23. The word of God says this. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that they lifted and when they heard that they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said Lord thou art God which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is who by the mouth of thy servant David hast said why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done in the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Let's pray together. Father, we ask for thy blessing to be added to the reading of your word. And in this hour, may you open it to us. Draw us to yourself, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
By this time, we're reading about the acts of the early church. The Lord Jesus has already given his life on the cross and was buried and rose again from the grave and was with his disciples for about 40 days, appearing to them at different times to charge them that their job would be to carry on the good news of telling people about eternal life and the kingdom. And so after 40 days, the Lord Jesus ascended back on high to be seated at the right hand of the Father, where he ever lives to make intercession for you and me. He's praying for us. And he left his disciples, now called the apostles, because now they were sent ones. They were sent out to give the gospel. He left them with a huge task. They were supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. They were supposed to be witnesses of everything that they had seen and heard. But there was only a handful of them at this time, before the day of Pentecost, when Peter got up and preached that powerful sermon. And you could imagine that they were gathered together fearfully, but they were gathered together in prayer as well. And when the power of God came on them and the Holy Ghost came upon them, uh, and the day of Pentecost happened, when Peter went out and preached with the others, and they were bold because they had the Spirit of God and giving them confidence in the Lord. And so they gave that message, and thousands of people became believers in Jesus that hadn't before. Well, not too long after that, Peter and John, two of the apostles, they went up into the temple during the time of prayer in order to pray. And there was a man who was begging for money to be given to him because he was poor and lame. He couldn't walk, and he was, uh, he was pretty much, that was his only thing that he could do was to beg. And Peter and John, in the name of Jesus, healed him. And the man stood up who was lame since his birth, from what the scriptures indicate, and he leapt up and was thrilled, and he was hugging Peter and John, and a big, a big to-do happened in the temple because they knew this man, that he was there all the time, and that he couldn't walk, and he was laid there to beg, and everyone recognized him and said, we know this guy, he can't walk. But here he is leaping up and down, and Peter takes the opportunity to share that in the name of Jesus, this man was healed, and who Jesus was, that he was truly the Messiah, and that Israel had missed him, when he had come and offered the kingdom. But now if they repent and believe on him, they can have everlasting life and the forgiveness of sins. Well, the people that put Jesus to death happened to also be in that temple. The scribes and the Pharisees and the leaders, they didn't like that at all. And so they took Peter and John and they arrested them because they were causing trouble in the temple. And the next day they tried to intimidate them by getting a large council of who's who together to browbeat them into silence. But Peter and John were bold. And though all of these learned and uh, important men were gathered around them, they spoke boldly because they had been with Jesus. And they knew what they saw, and they knew what they'd heard, and they would not be quiet. And when they were told, they were threatened with violence, with legal repercussions to not preach in the name of Jesus anymore. They said, well, you're going to have to make a decision uh, whether it's right for us to listen to you or to listen to God. Because we are going to speak the things that we've seen and heard. And they were threatened the more so, but they had to be let go because all the people saw the miracle and the, the leaders of the temple, they couldn't get away with anything because the people were glorifying God because of what happened. And what we read about here is what happened when Peter and John left custody after being threatened. It says in verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own company. They went back to their own group. They went back to the early church. They went back to the other apostles and those that had joined them since the day of Pentecost. And they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. They told them about how they were questioned and whose name and by what authority did you do this miracle? And they, they told them about how they were threatened to not speak anymore, not one more word in the name of Jesus. They were threatened with serious consequences. And when that wasn't enough, they threatened them the more so, upping all of the consequences. And that's what they reported back. All that the chief priests and the elders had said unto them. And you might think that at this time, after their interrogation and after the threats, they might be thinking, well, we're going to have to go to a different city. We're going to have to come up with a different strategy. We're going to have to do something different because, man, we're in trouble now because they're breathing down our neck. And we know that they were willing to kill Jesus of Nazareth, so they're, they're not going to have any qualms about killing us. But instead of doing that, they have a prayer meeting. Instead of quitting, instead of running and hiding, they have a prayer meeting. And in verse 24, it begins. And when they had heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God. When they heard the threats, when they heard what God had done, the first thing that they did all together in unity, in unison, it said, in one accord, 
By the way, if we want to see God answer prayer, unity is of the utmost importance. Have you noticed that here they were praying together in unity and God is going to answer their prayer mightily and the spirit of God is going to give them all the boldness, spoiler alert, all the boldness that they need. The place will be shaken. Did you notice that before the day of Pentecost they were gathered together in prayer and they were all together in one accord? God's people together, unified, is one of the greatest requirements for revival or a greater, greater moving of God. When there's dissension, when there's division, the Spirit of God has no freedom to move there because there's pride, there's selfishness. But here, they were all gathered together with one accord. And when I say they, I'm talking about this church, this church in Jerusalem in its very simple form. They didn't have any buildings yet. They didn't have a church constitution. They didn't have a charter. They didn't have anything like that yet. They hadn't even elected deacons at this point. They were just gathered together in the name of Jesus to carry out the Great Commission and to observe those things that the Lord had commanded them. And so in verse 24, they start out and they say, The Lord, thou art God. You say, well, that seems like a weird thing to begin your prayer with. What they're saying is, it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The true and living God, that Lord is the God. Not one of the gods, little g. There were lots of Roman gods out there that they had taken from the Greeks and made to their own purposes. There were lots of people that made themselves out to be as though they were the Messiah or somebody important. But here they're saying that thou art God. They were encouraging themselves and reminding who it was that set them on this mission and who it was that had promised to care for them and to protect them and to provide for them. Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. You made everything. You made everything. And by right of your power and right of your wisdom, and we look around and we see that, don't we? For those of us that take the time to look at God's handiwork and recognize it as God's handiwork, it's amazing to see what the Lord has made, isn't it? Have you ever examined the very small details of things? Have you ever just plucked a leaf off of a tree and saw all of the little workings that go on inside of it? Makes you think back to school when they made you look through a microscope at a cell and think about how complicated a cell is. How many of you remember having to learn all the names of the parts of the cell? Hasn't that helped you in your adult life? Hasn't that been wonderful that you learned those things? But some of you perhaps it did, but you learned it. You think about how many cells makes up this, that one simple leaf and how it's just one leaf on a giant organism like a tree. And that's just one tree in the midst of a forest. And that's just one forest in the midst of a land that is, it's, it could just keep going. It's amazing to see the handiwork of the Lord. And they reminded themselves that as scary as their opponents might be and all of the power that it seems like they could wield against them in these threats, what are they compared to God? Who controls God? Who puts limits on him? What, what man or creature is it that can tie the hands of the Lord to stop him from doing his good pleasure? And the answer is no man, no power exists. Our God is sovereign. Our God is sovereign, which means that he has absolute supreme authority. No one is over him. By the way, the word sovereign is not a bad word as long as you don't take it to mean something other than what it means in the Bible. Sometimes people want to, to dance away from that word because the word sovereign makes them think of uh, a reformed tradition where they would deny the idea that man has an ability to respond to God and there's all sorts of theological issues with that, and it's not scriptural, but God is in complete control. And they identify the Lord, and they hold that out there in front of them as they pray this prayer. Verse number 25. Who, by the mouth of thy servant David, hast said, meaning that they were praying scripture. They were quoting something that David said in the Old Testament, the sweet psalmist of Israel. That's a great thing to do, to pray scripture in your prayers. You ever wonder if you're praying for something that God wants you to have? You ever wonder if you're praying in the will of God? An easy way to answer that is to pray the promises of Scripture. To pray what the Word already says. I, I like to do this in my own prayer life. Um, I'll, I'll take different bits and pieces of what God has said, and I'll, I'll put them all together in a patchwork of prayer. Things like, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. That's, that's out of Psalm 119. 
Maybe you have something that you like to pray. I'll pray, Lord, give me fitly spoken words as apples of gold and pictures of silver. Another quote from the Old Testament. Find things like that when you come across it and take note of it. You want to know if God will give you wisdom if you ask? Well, when you pray to remind yourself of God, you say, Lord, who gives wisdom to all men and gives it liberally to all who ask. Just remind yourself of what Scripture says as you pray it. And that's what they did here. They reminded themselves of it. And it says, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings, verse 26, the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Quoting the Old Testament, as oftentimes David would give us these inspired words that would be prophecy of how the things in Jesus' life would turn out. And he says, why did, verse 25 said, why do the heathen rage? Right, the heathen being the unbelieving people around them. And they rage, they get upset, they're angry about something. And why do the people imagine vain things? Why do they come up with these imaginations, these schemes, these plans? Because all of it comes to nothing in the face of God. The very next passage, or very next verse tells us about how people would array themselves like an army against God to refuse to do what it is that God had asked them to do. And it's like the question, why did they even bother? You ever thought that about something? You tried to get something done and you put all sorts of effort into it and it all came to nothing. And you thought, why did I even bother? Why did I even try? That's, that's what this phrase, why did the heathen rage? It's not going to do them any good. Why did they rage against the Lord? Why did they em imagine and scheme these empty schemes against the works of God? Which, doesn't that describe what the Pharisees and the, the scribes were doing in trying to fight Jesus? They're like, oh no, a great miracle has been done by them. Instead of deciding that Jesus is really the Messiah and that these men are telling the truth, let's find a way to, to keep them quiet so they don't tell anybody else. Let's find a way to cover this up. They're not even happy that the man got healed. Think about the, the vain imaginations that go on in the minds of people that refuse to acknowledge God's control and his sovereignty. Verse 26, the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together. The kings of the earth, kings are powerful. In modern day, we don't really have kings, but I want you to imagine if there were no checks and balances on a ruler. And if the ruler didn't like you, guess what he could do? He could have you killed. He could have you in prison. He could have your lands taken from you. He could tax you into oblivion just because he wanted to. He could have people come in and destroy your livelihood. Why? King commanded it. You say, that's not right. Well, who's going to do something about it? Because he's the king and he has the ability to do whatever it is that he wants to do. We see some of this around the world today in corrupt governments where people that are outspoken against the, the person in power, they suddenly go missing. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? I, I think in just the, the recent months, four different high-level advisors in Russia all went missing or had uh, strange accidental deaths. Does that seem suspicious to anybody? That, that's reminiscent of what a king was like. And so when you talk about a king rising up against anything, you think a king could destroy somebody's life. A king could even move his nation to destroy another nation. And the rulers that carry those things out. They all gathered themselves together against the Lord and they gathered themselves against Christ. This is a picture of the very best that earthly powers could do against the Lord. This is their, their very best. And the verse before says, it's just vain, it's just empty. Why are they even bothering? The very greatest of human strength is nothing compared to the might of the Lord. And so while it looked like this group, this ragtag group, that had very little money, no connections, no buildings, no organization, no national network, no denominations. All that they had was a group of people that knew what they had seen and knew what they had heard and were committed to telling the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they found the boldness to go against not just the entrenched Jewish leadership that refused to believe, but also against Rome. Look at this next verse, verse 26. Or verse 27, excuse me. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. Even though David talked about this happening in the Old Testament, this is exactly what happened in the New Testament. This is fulfilled prophecy. The kings and the rulers got up to try and oppose Christ. 
Who's a king that opposed Christ? Well, King Herod. Who's a ruler that opposed Christ? Pontius Pilate. If you remember, Herod was given, uh, uh, he was supposed to be some version of the king of the Jews, even though he wasn't Jewish himself. And he was supposed to rule over Galilee in that area that Jesus came out of. And he had Jesus interrogated and was hoping to see some miracle of him and, and had him shamefully treated. And then Pontius Pilate was moved by the crowds of people that had been turned against Jesus to have Jesus scourged and to have him killed. And it says that the Gentiles, or the Romans, they stood against him. And even the people of Israel, in large part, were motivated against the Lord. And they were gathered together. They were gathered together against the Lord and his Christ. Verse 28. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. That's a crazy verse. You know, you know what, that, what I think that should read? For to do whatsoever their hand and their counsel decided to do. And it's saying, no, the greatest forces on earth arrayed themselves against Jesus. And you know the only thing they could do? Whatever it was that God would allow them to. Whatever it was that was according to the counsel that God wanted done. To the idea, the plan of what God had planned. You see, they had no power against Jesus except what the Lord allowed for them to have. Think about that. That's why Jesus said, no man takes my life, I lay it down. Well, it surely looked an awful lot like he got arrested by the Jewish temple guards and taken away into custody. And it sure looked an awful lot like when he was handed over to the Romans for crucifixion that they had all the power to do with them whatever they wanted. Even when he held his peace before Pilate, Pilate said, don't you even understand that I have the power to crucify you? And Jesus responded to him, you don't have any power except what's given to you by heaven. And so this whole thing often really looked like Jesus was at the whims of mankind. But really, all of this was held in God's hand. You see, Jesus' death wasn't just some tragedy or some unfortunate circumstance. This is one of the pinnacle moments in human history when God's Savior, Jesus Christ, God's Son, the second person of the Trinity, went to the cross to die for your sins for my sins, and rose again from the grave, proving that he was the Son of God, and that death could not hold him, and that the life that he gives, death can't hold that either, and so that you and I can have eternal life. And see, it was God's hand and God's counsel, his plans, that went forward. The very best, the most powerful entities on earth can do nothing except what God allows them to do. Does that do anything for you? Because God loves you, because God's committed to you, because he's all-wise and all-powerful, does that do anything to give you peace that nothing can pass through his hands except exactly what he wants to? And by the time it hits you, you know that the Lord has looked it over and has made provision for that when it hits you. It might look like somebody else's sin or out-of-control circumstances, but by the time it reaches you, it's the will of God for your life. And if he leads you into it, he'll be with you in the midst of it. And lead you through it. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Jesus' death was something not just that the Romans came up with. This was something foretold in scripture. All the way back in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3. It was prophesied that there would a savior would come to deal with the problem of sin. And he most assuredly did. Now sometimes people will say something like. Well, that, that's confusing then, because if God is truly sovereign, and he has all this power, and nothing happens except what he wants to have happen, then does anybody really have the ability to choose? Right? Does mankind have what philosophers would call agency? Can we make any choices? Or are we all just playing out some script that's already been written? And there's so much that we don't understand about the Lord, and his greatness, his ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. But I found a quote that I think explains this so well. It says, God is so great that he works out a plan, a plan to work everything out for your good, if you belong to him, and his glory, which takes into consideration your choices and still works his plan out infallibly. Now you say, how does God take into account your choices and still work out his plan infallibly? And the answer is, I do not know, but I have no problem with that. My little human brain 
cannot understand everything about the Lord. And I can trust him. I can trust him. I had, I had a doctor that really spooked me. He really spooked me. You know what I want out of a doctor? I want him to be like one of those arrogant Navy pilots from the movies that they think that they know everything and they walk in and they feel like they're a superstar and they're like, this is going to be no problem. We'll have this done in about 30 minutes. You're going to be up on your feet, good as new. Do you want to ask any questions? You don't really need to. It's I got this. I had a doctor who was looking at doing surgery on my shoulder and he's like, well, you know, do you want to have surgery? What? He's like, well, I'll give you some stuff and you can look at it and you can tell me whether or not you want to have surgery. Now, I, I'm not a particularly dumb guy, but I don't know anything about medicine. And the whole time he was knocking on wood. He's like, well, hopefully, hopefully the surgery would make it less likely for you to dislocate your shoulder again, hopefully. And you know, we can't really be sure it might happen again, might not. And I'm like, this guy leaves me with zero confidence. I have zero confidence in this man. I don't feel comfortable with him at all, which is wild because the same practice, there was a surgeon there that fixed my wife's ankle and he was that guy that I talked about. He probably had aviator sunglasses that he wore when he got into his high priced car to drive away, right? I had all the confidence in the world in that man, but the other guy left me feeling like, yeesh, I don't know. You see, having confidence in the Lord and knowing that he's able to take care of things, even if I don't understand it, it makes me feel like I'm in good hands. It makes me feel like I'm in good hands. I can have confidence because of his character, even if I don't know everything about what he's doing. Even if I would look at it and be like, are you sure? Are you sure? I don't think I want to go this way. Nope, this is the best way to go. I can have confidence in that, and I can have confidence in the Lord because of it. I say yes to the sovereignty of man, and we also say yes to man's responsibility, his ability to respond. Verse 29, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings. God, note their threatenings. Pay attention to what it is that they said they were going to do against us. I don't know everything that they said that they were going to do against him, but if they were willing to crucify Jesus, who had the favor of the crowd, then anything up to and including crucifixion was probably on the table. Pretty easy to, to guess that. Think about everything that happened to the Apostle Paul when he traveled from city to city. And the times that he was beaten and stoned, the times when he lost his livelihood and his family connections and also, I mean, you can imagine all that could have happened to them. So these threatenings were serious. They're not like $215 parking fine. We're not talking about that kind of punishment. We're talking about something major. And they bring it up before the Lord. And you could imagine, after it's like, Lord, you've heard about their threatenings. And so we are going to pray for that you would grant thy servants, it says. What are they going to pray for? That you would grant thy servants that with all safety, that with all comfort, that with all convenience, you would do this for. No, no, that's not what they asked for, did they? They were threatened by what was the equivalent of their government not to speak in the name of Jesus, even though Jesus told them that they needed to speak in his name. And they had all the might that was placed against them that the government wields. And instead of asking for safety, instead of asking for comfort, instead of asking for angels to protect them, you know what they asked for? Boldness. Boldness. Boldness is being fearless before danger being fearless in the face of danger, seeing the danger and not being cowed by it. That's what they asked for. Boy, I would have asked for safety. <laughs> oh, me, a little faith. They asked for boldness. You know what they didn't want to do? They didn't want to quit in light of the threatening. Peter and John had been bold before as they, when they knew that they needed God's help to continue being bold, that this wasn't something that they could just do on their own, that one day all of a sudden they're bold. I've had moments where I've felt bold to speak for the Lord, and then I've had moments since those days when I felt like a little church mouse and I couldn't say anything. We need to rely upon the Lord every day, and that's what they asked for, with boldness, to speak his word. What word? The words that Jesus gave them. The truth about everlasting life. The truth about the Messiah that had come. Verse number 30. They also asked for this. By stretching forth thine hand to heal. 
and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. They said, not only do we need boldness to speak, we want you to continue doing these miracles because they show that your message is true. They show that your message is true. How many of you know that the Romans had a bunch of gods? Right? Do you remember having to learn? I remember in sixth grade, for some reason, we had to learn either the Greek gods or the Roman gods when we were studying history. Anybody remember? Here's something funny. I grew up as a Greek Orthodox person in a Greek Orthodox church. And um, my friends didn't know what that was. And so they're like, oh, okay, so you worship Zeus? And I'm like, no, that's, that's not how that works, right? <laughs> that's what they thought. They thought it was one of those ancient gods that we were. They had gods everywhere. And not only were they the big gods, but then there were all sorts of other little gods and little spirits and little teachers. There was all sorts of spirituality and superstition and religion everywhere. How is it that the story of a Jewish messiah is going to penetrate into all the world. The answer is that God is going to do miraculous things to confirm that his word is true. This is what we refer to as the sign gifts, that God gave certain miraculous gifts or sign gifts to the apostles during that apostolic age that belonged just to that age that would prove that the message of Jesus is true. Those sign gifts have faded, they've passed away, as the scripture said that they would, and now no longer do we have the ability to, to walk up and, and place our hands upon people and see them healed or to cast out demons in that same way. God most certainly still does healing. I mean, some of you have seen it, haven't you? Praying for people and seeing God do great works there. I know of a friend of mine who is now um, pseudo-retired. He's no longer on the mission field. Now he's teaching down in, in Crown College in Powell, Tennessee. But he planted churches in Suriname which is uh, just above South America, a little island there. And he dealt with demon possession all the time. And he didn't go up and just cast them out, but they gathered together in prayer and they fasted and, and the Lord would release people from that and they would believe on the Lord. And, and uh, once the Spirit of God came in, they would be set free from that demon's power ever coming back. So we're not saying that these signs um, mean that the end of miracles, but for this time, they were shown as a sign to validate the gospel. So that when Paul or Peter went somewhere and they said that this is true and people say, well, how do we know that it's true? And they make a lame man walk or they bring the dead back to life or a blind man gets their sight and they're able to see. This is not normal, right? We don't see this all the time today and they didn't see it all the time back then. This was God breaking into human history to let them know that this is the truth. And they wanted to make sure that these wonders were being continued to be done in the name of Jesus. Because that was the name that they weren't supposed to speak in. That was the name that everybody needed to hear. And they needed to hear it, not just because that they had hooked their wagons up to Jesus' little train there, and they wanted their religion to move forward as though they were making it up themselves. No, they knew that the only hope for salvation for any man, woman, boy, or girl is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, was what they said to those around them. It says in verse number 31, and then, excuse me, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Their prayer was answered. There was a little literal physical response as God answered. It was shaken. And the Spirit of God in power filled them. Now, this is not the Spirit, them getting baptized with the Spirit or anything like this. This is them being fully yielded to God and God's power having all of them so that now they have boldness. Now they have boldness. Where did the boldness come from? It came from the Lord. How did they get it? They prayed for it. They prayed for it. How did they pray for it? They reminded themselves of how God, big God is and how much power he has, and that no army, no power of man could possibly stand against the will and the work of God. They reminded themselves of that. They rejoiced in all that God did. They recognized that there was danger, and then they prayed not to be saved out of the danger, not to be spared from it, but to be given the boldness to go through it that God's will might be done. That's where they found it. Let's, let's boil it down to a few points of application tonight, shall we? few points of application. First of all, rest in our sovereign Lord. Rest in our sovereign Lord. God is in control. 
No one and nothing limits his power. He exercises supreme authority. And so no one is as wise or as powerful as God, and God is firmly committed to you. If you are one of his children, he will move heaven and earth to make sure that you are where you need to be. He has made certain promises, and he has never failed a single one of his promises. And so you and I can trust him. You and I can trust him. Uh, have you ever, you ever been in a plane and someone told you you had a new pilot? Anyone ever had that experience? Brand new pilot today is flying, everybody. Have a good time. No? No, I do remember, though, a particularly rough landing on a plane. And the guy came over the speaker after we were taxiing into the, the jetway to get off. And he says, I want you all to congratulate my co-pilot on his first landing ever. They didn't tell us before. They told us after. Because I wouldn't have had any... I would have been nervous the whole flight. I don't like flying anyway. But can you imagine if he got on the speaker before we took off? He's like, I just want you to know that when we come in for a landing, a man who has never done this before has all of your lives in his hands, and he did pretty good at school. He wasn't the top of his class, but he wasn't the bottom. Enjoy your flight. I would have been wringing my hands the whole time. I would have been so worried. I would have made myself sick worrying about that because I would have had no confidence in him. But when you have confidence in someone, and you realize you have no control, that they have all control, you can relax. It's not up to you. It's not up to you anymore. It's all up to the Lord. And so the idea that no one limits him, no one controls him, provides rest in a way that nothing else does. It provides rest in a way that nothing else does. Even Jesus said it. Jesus said, listen, you can't really do anything. You can't make yourself any taller or shorter. You can't change anything. You can't add one day to your life. What are you all worried about? You're so worried as though you've got to do everything right and you can't do anything. The Father can do everything, so trust in Him. That's where you and I find rest. That's the answer to worry. We think it's lining up all of these things and making sure our insurance and our portfolio and our, our health and that we, we try and scheme and line and put everything in place. That's not how you're going to find any comfort. We'll only find it when we rest in the Lord realizing how great He is, how big He is. Rest in our sovereign Lord. Second of all, pray for boldness. Pray for boldness. They knew God was great, but they were sort of realistic about themselves. They knew that they needed to pray for it. You would say, oh, they're, they're the apostles. They don't need anything. They don't have any lack. No, they were human. They were flesh and blood like you and me, and they still feared the threatenings. And so they knew that they needed boldness. Otherwise, they wouldn't have bothered praying for it if they didn't need it. And so they prayed for boldness, recognizing it. They knew that there would be moments of doubt, that there would be moments of worry, there would be moments of anxiety, that they'd have to stand before people, and they would have to bring up the conversation, and they'd have to have the disapproving looks of those that threatened them earlier. But they knew where to get their boldness from. It wasn't from their organizational skills or their financial backing. It was from God himself. God gives us boldness. He strengthens our hearts. Boldness comes from confidence in the character of God. Who do you believe that God is? Who do you believe that God is? You might be able to go through and check off every statement on the, our, our doctrinal statement in the church and believe, oh, I believe that God is this, and I believe he's this, and this, and this, and this. Yeah, but who do we live like God is? Who do we live like? Do we live like he's powerful? Do we live like he's all wise? Do we live like he's in control? Do we live like he's unbelievably committed to us and loves us with an everlasting love? Do we live that way? Because there are times, friends, I find myself living like it's all on my shoulders. And I'm not bold when it's all on my shoulders because I know about what my shoulders can carry and they can't carry enough. But when we remind ourselves of the character of God, and when we have confidence that he's going to keep what he says in his word, his promises, we can have boldness. You may be the kind of person that has no trouble speaking about Jesus, no trouble at all sharing the good news with people. And boy, do people need good news today. Boy, do people need good news today. We live in a world that's, that's drowning in information but is starving for truth. And you might think that people don't want to hear the gospel, but you would be mistaken. Some won't believe, but some will. And they're, they're waiting to hear. 
But if the idea of you speaking up in front of somebody like that is the most terrifying, it's just, you can't imagine it. You can't imagine it. What's the answer? Pray for boldness. If you were fearless in the face of danger, and friend, we don't face the kind of danger that they were going to face. Not yet, anyway. If they were going to, how would you live? How would your life be different? If you no longer had any fear in the face of danger or in the face of opposition, that kind of boldness would revolutionize a person's life. It would revolutionize a family. It would revolutionize a church, which would change a community. Pray for boldness. Lastly, pray for God to draw non-believers. Pray for God to draw non-believers. The Lord, well, see, here they asked for miracles to validate the message. They asked for miracles to validate the message. God has already validated the message, and now we have the completed word of God, which is a, a powerful testimony that we use today. It's quick and powerful. It's living. It accomplishes what it's sent forth to do. There's great power in the word of God and people hearing the word of God and studying it. It was vital in the apostolic age for them to have these kind of miracles. But even though God doesn't work in that same way where men are laying on hands and healing the lame and the, the sick and the blind, God still does miraculous work in people's lives to prepare them to believe. God does miraculous things. I mean, I think about everything that God took me through to take me from an atheist gay rights activist and turn me into a preacher. How much you think about that? Think about the path that God took you through. He did some miraculous stuff. He worked out the right people in the right place. And God isn't just going to do that for you or for me. He'll do that for other people if we'll pray for it. You know what I, I pray for? And this is a weird prayer. I'll pray for people that I want to come to know Christ. And I'll, I'll say things like, Lord, get in all of their business. Get in all of their business. Start removing the things that are keeping them from you. Start opening their heart to the things of the gospel. Start bringing people across their path with the good news. If I can't get to them and speak to them myself, maybe they're somewhere else, I pray that the Lord brings them somebody. And you'll, you'll be amazed at how God gets in people's business and makes them ready. I want to tell you a, a brief story as we close about one of my friends from China. His name's Forrest Chen. His real name's not Forrest. But he took the first name as Forrest when he came here. I hated to tell him that's not a real first name, but that's okay. He chose the name Forrest. And he came to the University of Tennessee as a postdoctoral research student. Brilliant. Brilliant. In just a moment, we're going to get out our prayer lists and we're going to take notes about who to pray for. He would take prayer requests at the beginning of every Sunday school class in the class that I taught down in Tennessee. And he would never write anything down and he never forgot anything. He was just brilliant. It was wild. But when he first came over, he knew nothing about Christ. He grew up in atheist, uh, communist China. And, but when he came over, he heard lots of people talking about religion, and that was new, and he was very interested. And he was very lonely, and God had started working on him that maybe there's more, and that maybe he brought them here for more. He didn't even know if he believed in God, but he was walking along the side of a, one of those red brick buildings on the University of Tennessee campus. He was walking along the sidewalk. And he says, God, if you're real, would you send someone to tell me about you? Would you show me? And down the other sidewalk at that exact moment, he runs into my, my friend Scott Pauley, who, who's now an evangelist and a, and a preacher. He was, he was on staff there at the church. And they walk right into each other, and he, he invites him to Bible study and asks him if he knows Christ. At that, do you think that that was an accident? Do you think that was just happenstance? No, that was the Lord doing miraculous things in drawing people that don't believe into faith in Christ couple of quick questions. How does knowing that God is sovereign help us in a crisis? How does knowing that he has supreme authority help us in a crisis? Does it? How? Yeah, Becky? Gives peace. Amen. You know God is with you. He gives you peace. Yeah, Ron. You know the end is going to be good. Yep. How do you know that? Because God is sovereign. He's promised it. 
He'll work all things together for good to them that love the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. How else does it help? Any other way? Yes, Ben? <laughs> yes, it is. Amen. That's good. Any other thoughts on it? How it helps us? Ben? Mm. Yeah. You're in that pre-op room and everyone's hooking you up with everything and they're asking your name and is this, is this really you? And you have to say it three times and then they write, the doctor signs the leg that they're going to be working on or whatever it is. Yeah, that's a scary moment. In a crisis like that, knowing that God's in control when you close your eyes, that's the only way to have peace with that. Have you ever seen God work in someone's life to draw them to faith in Christ? Maybe it's your life or somebody else's life. Anybody have a, something to share about that? You ever seen God work in someone's life to bring them to Christ? Tony? Yeah, you met a you met a believer. Yes. And he, he wasn't ashamed to talk about Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Anybody else in your own life or somebody else's? Yes, Pat? Amen. Amen. Yeah, Jim? Back, back in the 1900s? That's true. Some of you got to see that. How many of you got to see that? How many of you were here when I was a teenager? Yeah. And then you all voted for me to be your pastor. What's wrong with you? <laughs> you saw what I was. Oh, my. Isn't God good? Doesn't he have a sense of humor? That's so good. Last question. When someone is bold for Christ, how do they act? Yeah, Tony? Fearless. Fearless. When someone's bold, how do they act? Yeah, Jim? Unashamed. Unashamed. Great word. Great word. Different? Different? Confidently? Yeah. How many of you, you know somebody like that? You know somebody like that. I, man, I, I've had a few experiences sharing the gospel with people where, like, it was bad. It didn't go well. I would, I, and I met this man named Bob Crichton. He was a preacher from New England. He had retired from the church up there, and he came down to Tennessee to teach. And uh, that man could comfortably talk to anybody doesn't matter how high they were, doesn't matter how they were dressed, doesn't matter, I mean, he would talk, I'd go with him, we'd open the door, that person would open the door that he was going to visit, someone who had come to our church before, and giant billows of marijuana smoke just came out. And I'm thinking, well, we better come back later. No, no, not with Bob Crichton. <laughs> he started right in on that guy. Uh, it, was, it was wild, it was wild to see it, and it encouraged me in my faith. 
to be bolder. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that we can trust it, and by it we can know you, that you are trustworthy and you have all power. And so, Lord, I pray that we would live in confidence of your sovereignty, of your love for us, your commitment for us. May we never forget the cross as that perfect sign of how much you love us and what lengths you're willing to go for us. And may we take that into the day tomorrow, even into this night, into the wee hours when the worries come in, in the fears and the what-ifs. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you didn't receive a prayer sheet, would you mind just slipping your hand up? We're going to just announce a few prayer requests before we go. Anybody not get one? We'll try and get one to you. I want to make sure everyone has a prayer sheet. Okay. Very good. Oh, I already grabbed mine. It's over here. A couple of important prayer requests um, that might not be in here. Rose Gerhardt, uh, we heard that she was having health problems just a few weeks ago, and today I found out that she has been placed on hospice care and that her cancer that she has is extremely aggressive, extremely aggressive, and they've only given her days um, unless the Lord intervenes. And so if you pray for Rose Gerhardt and her family, I know I, I got a chance to see her today. She's already, she's already um, confused and not particularly lucid. We, we went, prayed together and gathered the family around, but it won't be long. And so if you pray for Rose and her family, and some of the family members, they don't, they don't know the details of it yet or how bad it is, and so they were just asking for grace as they had to tell some of the younger kids. Alexis Hathaway, I don't know how many of you remember Alexis, but she called and let me know about all of it. So if you pray for them, um, and pray for Renee Bauman, her daughter Jennifer is in hospice care as well, and I haven't heard many details. I texted back and forth with her today just to let her know that we're praying for her. We love her and Jennifer, and so many of you have reached out to her as well, and that is wonderful. What a, what a great pleasure it is to pastor people that care that much. Continue to pray for them to have God's grace. Um, I was also visiting Buck Prince at the hospital today. He had another really bad bout with his uh, diverticulitis, and um, he was vomiting blood and things like that and had to, to go in for it. He just got home and out of rehab, so if you could pray for him to get his strength back and to get back on track, that would be a great blessing. And Rick Haney had great results. We're very thrilled. He had a heart cath on Monday, and they were thinking they might have to put stints in and maybe have to follow it up with other surgeries, but it was the best possible results that you could ask for, and through diet and medicine and things like that, they'll be able to do that without, they didn't have to put any stints in, and we're, we're rejoicing with him inside of that. Our family of the week is the Arbogast family, Daryl and Lynn, so pray for the Arbogast family if you would. Our missionaries of the week are the Sikberts in Ghana, so if you'd lift them up in their, their ministry there. Our ministry of the week, our Sunday school ministry, is our Sunday school. And remember, that's for all ages. If you don't have a